Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your regular dose of 20 minutes or so of our thoughts covering matters of the moment in and around the hotel and accommodation space. Uh, you find the two of us as normal gathered around the desk of insight. I've got Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst with me, and uh, my name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst. And the first uh, subject we're having a look at today is uh, the budget hotel sector, um, which seems to be in rude health. Uh, we've recently had some um, operational figures from Travelodge. Um, they're running at record uh, levels of performance. Um, some strong figures in also recently from um, Motel One in Germany. Uh, also had a conversation with uh, the CEO at Easy Hotel, uh, uh, who are absolutely booming as they expand. Uh, it, now they're in private hands. Um, and of course, the travel lodge business is purely an operational business. Um, so interesting that also at the same time, there is, uh, a, it looks like a big deal going through uh, in the UK covering a £210 million portfolio of travel lodge hotels, shifting from one owner to another. Um, that shouldn't affect the operational business, but just reflects the fact that um, some landlords are tidying up their portfolios, trying to reduce their loan to values as uh, interest rates rise. Um, but uh, back at the front desk, uh, things looking sharp and no one is detecting any weakness um, in, in the, as far ahead as they can see and uh, believe the market still has further upward to run. Yeah, I, I took a step back and I wanted to just have a think about what's going on in the market at the moment and um, just go to first principles and start looking at you know what comprises uh, property investment returns well two things income and capital growth and in this current market and in the foreseeable future certainly the medium term it's very hard to see much in the way of capital growth coming out um, and and yet we've got this almost I would describe it as an obsession with value add in, in you know I have I don't think I've ever seen a press release talking about a new fund or something that doesn't mention the fact that it's going to be a value add uh, proposition um and I'm sort of struggling to understand what it is that that they're, they're attempting with it um so it made me think about my own circumstances so um a very minor way i dabbled in a bit of buy to let i bought a couple of flats in the village i grew up in um and um you know i thought oh, I'm, I'm this genius property investor <laughs> and i go out there you you put some money into the uh you're doing it up and you're able to you know make sort of 20 or 30,000 quid um you know have, and selling it on again but when you factor in how much you spent on doing it up you factor in how much um you know opportunity cost there was with the the, the money that you had tied up and you know what it, that could have earned elsewhere um and you factor in what the market overall was doing in terms of the uplift really that value add strategy um <laughs> created diddly squat <laughs> i could have just <laughs> just bought something and left it and then sold it again really was the <laughs> was the sum total of it so there's this great value add piece was um not all that really um now obviously in commercial property is a much more sophisticated um approach but in some um i, I do think in, in in many cases they end up with the same sort of outcome that i got with my um my own <laughs> buy to lets um and that kind of made me you know brought me back to the whole 
budget um, um, branded hotel model I mean when we talk budgets we really mean economy hotels and increasingly when you look at something like uh, 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 Premier Inn you're talking about mid-scale really I think um, and and for this um, a mid-scale without F&B although it has F&B so what would you call it mid <laughs> sort of um, standardized mid-scale I don't know there isn't really a SDR category for it particularly but um, but certainly what we're talking about is 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 the business model here which has been a, a fantastic one for for making cash i would suggest um that you you invest and you go into this market with a very robust um uh um product which is capable of of generating a, a decent return and i think you know what you're looking at is, is really the income return and i think when you've got a market like we have at the moment um where capital value increases are going to be quite tricky um this income focus which the budget hotel model has you sort of build it and own it um or uh, lease it um i think that looks very attractive but you looked at alex alex i Reed, Chris a big owner of um, travel lodges mm. now if you look at their overall portfolio they own several different property asset classes not just hotels um, just over a third of this overall portfolio is fixed leases the rest are either RPI or CPI linked now certainly fixed leases I would suggest are not a very happy place to be in an inflationary environment mm. and even if you've got inflation linked rents owners of experienced economy assets like hotels and uh, uh, um, LXI have um, owned the property behind Merlin um, so that's two of the three biggest holdings they have um, you're going to miss out on the above inflation uplift in income such assets are going to generate um, so I mean even Ramsey Healthcare which um, uh, sort of a, a set of private hospitals um, I'd suggest there's a bit of experience economy within that with its uh, um, weight loss and cosmetic surgery offers and that kind of stuff um, so it, it's a strange you know this this lease approach that um, I, th I think makes sense from a, an operator perspective in this environment um, I'm not convinced you know from a owner perspective that they are in a great place um, with it um, at last month's um, Alvarez and Marcel um, EHIC event, the European Hotel in uh, Investment Conference, um, which we're going to go on to talk about at the end of the podcast, I asked um, a panel of hotel developers uh, from the global brand majors why it was that we seemed to be seeing in Europe owned and leased budget hotel players pulling away from the big global brand majors who only wanted to franchise. Um, and what was interesting, the response um, I got back from Hilton's Patrick Fitzgibbon was that there's a great value creation opportunity by switching in to a franchising model. Um, and I think he's right, for all the reasons we've just talked about in terms of the problems that are there with this leasehold structure etc the issue that still comes up is you know what is going to be the catalyst to to change the situation in europe um you know so that franchising really um begins to grow you know much more rapidly than it has done um uh, you know it, it is just a very slow incremental grind i mean 
you know, great for the global hotel majors. You know, when they can get the deals, they make a lot of sense, and great for those owners and the um, operators. They all that all makes sense for them. But it's not having that sort of huge sort of sweep across the continent that one would expect, given the 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 success of the business model and the potential of the business model um and what is and this is an open question what is going to be the catalyst to change things you to ponder that one um as we step onto our next uh, subject area and that's we're looking at the the broader uh, living and rental living co-living sort of uh, area uh, that, that sits in, in several niches alongside the hotel sector and there's been a couple of interesting consolidation moves in that marketplace uh, in the last few weeks um, on the one hand uh, the, the German uh, player Numa has acquired the Dutch apart hotel operator Yeze, um with it t- uh, picking up uh, several uh, properties in in kind of key European cities where Numa has not currently got good exposure, um, and development has been uh, a trio of European hotel brands that are kind of rearranging themselves under a new living brand which is called Joyvi. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, that they that brings together people who are doing um, uh, house shares or co living, uh, doing rental apartments and uh, across across a variety of European countries. So um, th- these these companies coming together, these brands coming together uh, in, a, in a bid to kind of present uh, a more broad-based offering, both uh, demonstrating to consumers, users, guests, uh, that, you know, they've got a one-stop shop, whatever sort of accommodation you're looking for, um, and but also equally um, presenting to themselves, to investors, as an interesting diversified play you know if you want to back us you've got not just exposure to the service department market you might also have exposure to some student living to some co-living as well um so you've got geographical diversification and also market segment uh, diversification so uh it, it, too early to say this is a trend but uh clearly there's some some things rumbling along here and some very well backed um groups uh, looking to pick up um uh, smaller outfits and um, bolt them onto the operation as they uh, look to see and uh, see how they can stake out a continental presence yeah and I, I think this very much speaks to what we have been talking about for some years now and what we talk about at our operational real estate festival this blurring of the lines between these asset classes um, within the living sector and 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 beyond the living sector um, and I think from uh, an investor perspective, there are real problems with the current regulatory environment. Planning in particular is a real issue in terms of um, enabling the best um, use of buildings, which is a, a multiple set of uses, not just a single use in many cases. And this diversification is, is not a case of uh, diversifying across different you know owning a whole bunch of different sorts of buildings but being able to diversify within sort of a a, a building itself um, which is which we 
you know the regulators the planners um, need to start thinking about because that is going to be in many cases the best way of maximizing the benefit from that property and certainly when you're in a situation which we are in Europe in particular but in, in many places around the world in urban environments where we've got a clear shortage of, of property in city centers um, we, we need to actually ensure that that those properties are working as hard as they possibly can and having more fluidity around um, the planning regime and the regulatory market is if it's done properly I'd suggest um, going to be a net positive thing now um, I dug out a Knight Frank survey of investors in the living sector, which was published back in September. Um, and indeed, that the, these people who are investing across BTR, uh, the Built to Rent, PBSA, the Purpose Built Student Accommodation, and what Knight Frank calls seniors housing, um, others, including us, tend to refer to it as elder living. Um, um, so these three uh, core areas. Um, um, that's where these investors were dabbling um, they said in the survey that actually it was the new regulations um, potential new regulations were the biggest short-term operational challenge for the market um, and in fact planning uh, was beaten only by the cost of finance as a major challenge to deploying capital in the living sectors so clearly I think th this is a big issue which is uppermost in the minds of investors and you know there could be a great deal done to um, uh, um, enhance um, every you know for, for the benefit of users for investors and the wider community if we have uh, regulatory reform now um, as it happened um, in uh, where I live here in Cambridge we've got a shopping centre our sort of second we've got one glorious fancy pants one called the Grand Arcade and a sort of lesser shopping centre um, called the Grafton Centre and like many of these lesser shopping centres the secondary or tertiary ones um, they're, they're very much out of fashion and in fact nearly half of the space in this place is unlet at the moment well there's a scheme been put forward um, to convert it into lab space not surprising I guess being in Cambridge and it's uh, being led by a specialist science developer pioneer group which is the life sciences wing of Trinity investment managing management now Trinity amongst the capital providers backing Trinity are people like Starwood capital Angela Gordon and Harrison Street um, and within the proposals, and this is not just going to be labs, there's going to be a premier in, there's the existing gym and cinema are going to be retained, and just 15% of the existing retail space will be kept. So it's a, it's a big transformation um, of, of an asset which really wasn't doing much for the locals, um, um, wasn't doing much for the existing owner, um, and but now it has you know great potential, I'd suggest um, going forward and uh, you know we need this kind of uh, um, more broad thinking about what can be done with particular assets to exploit them in the best way um, and you know I think we're a long way from 
getting there, certainly from the planning regulatory piece, but even at the investor end, I think there's still a lot, there's still too much, uh, um, you know, thinking within silos and not enough thinking of you know, across all those different silos. Um, Trinity says it creates operational platforms targeting structural challenges businesses or consumers face. And that's the sort of thing um, we need more of. And uh, we, you know, we need a regulatory um, system that's going to support that. Teaser from Andrew earlier, um, talking about a conference he's been to, been busy on the conference circuit. Um, <coughs> I think now you're going to give us a little bit more of an update, Andrew, from uh, what you saw and heard at the A&M conference. Yeah, well, in fact, two conferences is a double um, dip in terms of conference reporting. So as you say, Chris, November was a busy time on the on, on the conference circuit. So this is a Pandox market day. I zipped over to Stockholm for a couple of days um, to attend that. And um, I went to the um, A&M event in London. Um, and uh, both... Uh, conferences feature speakers highlighting the sort of mixed economic and geopolitical prospects which are out there. Um, I think it's probably worth um, quoting Roger Bootle, the uh, capital economics um, economist, and um, he said, um, you know, the, the outlook has never seemed more uncertain and dangerous. Um, although he did admit he always says that, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure quite what I learned actually, but uh, what. What did strike me about this whole sort of period of conferencing um, is just how chipper the whole investment hotel investment community actually is right now. So we've just seen the sharpest period of interest rate tightening on record. Um, you, you thought people would be absolutely doom and gloom um, given how gruesome this has been in terms of this cost of debt increase that's just shot up like it has um but actually um um not the case um i think there's a couple of reasons for this the first is that the relative position of hotels compared to other real estate asset classes has never been stronger now if we have to go back barely a decade um and you know hotels were still struggling to be taken seriously as an asset class within commercial real estate um very much not the case today whereas hotels are pretty much top of the tree I and mean, you know apart from logistics and a and a few new niche asset classes like life sciences we just mentioned the labs in cambridge um and data centers the other biggie i'd suggest that is out there hospitality is very much um the apple of the eye for for many investors um and the second reason for optimism i think is that the tailwinds we have behind the sector are blowing much stronger than any of the headwinds we have i mean certainly there are you know there, there's economic headwinds in terms of there's a slowdown ahead maybe even a recession i mean germany's going into recession we might see one in the uk um, a modest downturn probably in in the us um but and 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 the awful geopolitics not one but two major wars going on at the moment um in ukraine russia of course and um in the middle east um and but despite all of these problems um the tailwinds right now certainly seem stronger um than those headwinds so and i i think 
looking you know at what was talked about at uh, the pandox event in particular um it, it's this this shift in what's happening in terms of the consumer and we've talked about this um several times before this move away from stuff this and the desire to get into experiences and you know who i'm going to talk about <laughs> now chris abraham maslow and the hierarchy of needs and this self-actualization thing um and this is what travel and hospitality delivers and actually puts it in such a strong position um so you've got this secular growth so i mean i'd suggest we're about you know we're just about at the bottom of the cycle i hope um and we're about to see a, a reasonable cyclical upturn once we get through this next period um and but on top of that we've got this secular growth alongside that uh, um cyclical growth we can look forward to so um at uh, um the pandox events um the chairman of the board at pandox um um he he came on um wearing sunglasses and um <laughs> he he said uh, he said that you know that that do you remember Timbuk Three, the no. band? The the future's so bright, I've got to wear oh. shades. So you would, won't remember Timbuk Three. Um, you probably remember the song. It was their only song, actually. They just <laughs> disappeared from from sight after that one. But um, but uh, I, I think what what's clear is that uh, the hospitality sector, um, you know, has really proven itself, um, and we are looking forward to this very bright future with uh, a cyclical upturn underpinned by this strong secular growth and indeed you know the future is going to be so bright you know you might want to consider wearing sunglasses okay now we're moving on to our five star and no star awards for this week andrew you're awarding five stars to belmont yeah so belmont's been very quiet um since it got bought by lvmh now uh, i have um, talked about this at some length um um different stages over the past few years because we've got expectations here we have europe's biggest company in terms of market capitalization lvmh very much positioned in the ideal spot of that luxury end of the market um and hoping you know that that we're going to see a bit bit more coming out of belmont the problem is with lvmh they're very very parsimonious on what they actually say uh, when they report despite their size and belmont as you know you, you get virtually no data or no insight what's been going on at belmont but uh, they have um this week released what they call a blueprint for a year of transformation and they're talking about a bunch of acquisitions and about how they're repositioning some of their properties so the relatively new ceo dan ruff at belmont is is you know clearly got his uh, feet under the table or whatever cliche you want to use and uh, getting stuck in so i think uh, you know I, I think it's exciting um to see what i think is going to be a real one to watch in terms of the luxury space. and no stars for the britannia group uh, britannia hotels in the uk for once again putting customers second uh, they uh, own the Pontins Holiday Park uh, chain in the UK and they've just announced they're suddenly closing two of those parks and uh, no explanation they're just uh, refunding people who've already booked 
Well, you wonder what's going on there. Could well be, could well be uh, oh. the, the UK government's promised to reduce the numbers of asylum seekers in hotels. Uh, could be putting them into uh, holiday parks instead, I guess. I'd forgotten that um, Britannia owned Pontins, and they but all fell into place actually. Because <laughs> I had, I went on a, uh, a rugby uh, trip with my son, and we went to stay at uh, the Great Yarmouth Pontins, and it was the most awful experience <laughs> I think I've had. It was like a throwback to the nineteen fifties, and I had one of those double double beds, um, but it was it was of course it was really thick plastic covering the mattress. Um, <laughs> And you, you, you just rolled you slid, off it. Did you? You, you, you turned over. You just rolled off the bed. Oh, it was you know, and the food was just indescribably awful. But anyway, it was it was a rugby tour, so we did, you know, just <laughs> plenty of beer, and you just got through it. But uh, mm. yeah. Uh, yes yeah, there are some things we really need to move um, on from yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes um, yeah. Britannia are one of them. all right yeah. and on that note we'll yeah. say goodbye for now 